Well, this morning we're already off to a, a good start, and I was thinking of uh, some of the things as I saw that film. I was like, you, the little video clip there, I was thinking, you know, I really enjoy a good movie. I don't know if there's anybody else that enjoys that. This last week I got to uh, attend that new movie, Risen, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen that. A great family movie, maybe uh, with age appropriate, uh, but about the uh, resurrection of Christ. I saw uh, recently this, this week with our in-laws were in town, we watched the movie War Room. I don't know if you've seen that. Very uh, powerful story and uh, just a couple good recommendations for you. But I don't know what it is about movies. I think it's partially the, the twists and turns and the plot that you're never sure what's coming next and just the adventure of all that. I remember that's, that's, that's probably what draws me in is those moments that you say, wow, I didn't see that coming. You ever have one of those moments in a movie? You're like, whoa, I was not expecting that. Some years back, this, uh, there was this, not all of them are powerful films that I've seen. There was a movie called Deep Blue that I watched. I'm a little embarrassed to confess to. It's a story about, uh, about uh, some rogue sharks that were genetically engineered. You can see it's a pretty high-caliber film. And, uh, and in this movie, Samuel L. Jackson was the main character, and uh, I'm guessing I'm not spoiling this for anyone because no one's ever seen this movie, uh, my, just my sister. Uh, and, and, so, and so there's this point where these sharks have gotten out of their cages, like this is, they're, they're in this underwater setup where all these scientists are stuck there and, and, and trapped. You've maybe seen a similar movie to this. And, and Samuel L. Jackson, who is the only actor you recognize in this entire movie, stands up, rallies everybody together, gives this big pep talk. If we're going to make it, we got to stick together. Out of the blue, the shark, genetically engineered, rolls out of the water, snags Samuel L. Jackson, and he's gone. He's done. This is like a third into the movie, and I'm like, well, who's the new main character now? But it was one of the, the I think he got into the film, and he's like, I want out, and that was his sign-off. <laughs> And, uh, and so, so anyway, to me, in film, that was probably one of the most, whoa, I didn't see that coming moments that I can think of. I'm not even recommending that you go watch it. But, uh, but, but for me, th that's what draws you in. That's what sucks you in. That's what keeps us paying the absorbent prices to go see films and theaters. That's what watches them on Netflix at home, whatever your venue is. There's something about films and typically the unknown component of it that you're not sure, wow, I didn't see that was coming. And I would, you're like, where are you going with this? I would propose that our text this morning is pointing to the life that we're invited to be a part of that has that same effect on the world around us. Where they see the, the way we live and they see the way that we act and the way that we respond to situations and they say, whoa, I didn't see that coming. In fact, we're called to that type of life, a life leaving the world on the edge of their seats. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's the, the life we're invited to where people aren't sure what to do with us, where they're like, whoa, I expected you to act like that, but instead you acted like that. I expected you to respond like that. And this text goes through a, a number of different parts. We're in Romans 12, starting in verse 9 this morning. It covers every aspect of our life, our personal convictions, how we interact with other believers, how we engage with the, those in the outside the faith. 
how we deal with difficult people. I think it speaks to every venue of our life, but that's what we're invited to is supernatural living. And I'm convinced that Paul wouldn't have wasted his breath unless he thought it was possible. So let me pray towards that end. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to see a glimpse of what your kingdom looks like. The invitation to live differently, to live like you lived, as we'll see. God, I pray that you'd speak to us, that you'd challenge us, that you'd stretch us, that you'd convict us, that you'd meet us right where we're at this morning. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles, we're in chapter 12 of Romans. We've been working through this. We're just going through uh, verse 9 through the end of the chapter. And he starts out talking about a life with personal conviction. Look what it says. It says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. It's important to see what he starts with is this picture of, of what we're called to, to live like. It's a, really the same idea as building a house. It has to have a firm foundation. In this case, it starts with love, being under, our lives being undergirded with, with love. And the love that's described here, you've heard different types of terms used in Scripture for love. This one is the, 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 the Mac Daddy of them. This is the agape love, if you will, what we're called to. Agape love was, I found it interesting, was rarely used in Greek literature because it represented unselfish, self-sacrificing devotion that was in that time seen as a picture of one's weakness. So that wasn't something that was elevated in that culture. It was considered like, whoa, that's a, that's a love that's putting other people's needs before your own. Like, what is that about? Well, that's in Jesus' kingdom, upside-down kingdom. That's what he calls us to. In fact, it's the supreme virtue talked about throughout the New Testament. In Romans 13, 8 says, The one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. All of these pictures of this call to love. It's the, it's, the, uh, it's the foundation for the rest of this that we're going to look at. It's not supposed to be something that we fake or muster up or have to work on. It's supposed to be a natural expression of God's love for us and the work that He's doing in us. It's something we've talked about through this series as a, as a foundation of what we're called to. But look what he says just right after that, which is interesting. He says to abhor what is evil. Abhor actually means to hate fiercely, to hate fiercely. We get confused thinking it isn't very loving to condemn a person's sinful lifestyle choices, but throughout the New Testament and Old Testament, we're told to hate evil. We're told to hate evil. In Psalms 97.10, it says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Amos 5.15, hate evil and love what is good. Revelations 2.6 tells us to hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which were living evil, which I also hate. Nothing wrong with hating evil practices. I think this is important for us to understand that it's okay to hate the things that we see in the world around us that we know are destructive. My son pointed out to me over breakfast that the word evil spelled backwards is live. So evil is the opposite of living. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's what, what, what's broken in the world around us. And there's nothing wrong with us hating what is evil. But notice what it says. It says, abhor what is evil, not who is evil. That's the other critical thing to understand here. We're to hate the sin, 
but love the sinner. Critical that we learn to differentiate between the two because that's how God chose to interact with us in our sin. I found a, a neat little verse I'd never read before. Luke 6.35 says that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. See, I'm even talking about it and it's jumping out at me. This idea that, that it's okay for us to hate to see what sin is doing in somebody's life. If you think about that, sometimes we, we can't even recognize somebody anymore. And you can hate that fact of what evil has done to somebody. But separating the two, in fact, we're at the same point we're told to cling or hold fast to the good. Think about that as it relates to how we respond to, to people around us. My, my wife is fantastic at pointing out the good in people. I, 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 I might I'll overhear somebody talking about somebody and she's always saying, no, but that's just because of this. And that's what, like she's the defender of everyone. And I think that's the picture of what he's calling us to, to cling the, 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 or hold fast. It actually, the word hold fast there is stuck with glue. Sometimes it's hard for us to find the good in somebody. You're like, oh, but that's what we're called to, to cling to that, to hold fast, always looking for that, for that to be in the front of our mind. In summary here in that section, love what God loves, people, hate what God hates, evil. Continues to describe what it looks like to interact with the world around us. In verse 10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection. That is fitting that Chris had us hug each other this morning. It says Then it says, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. A lot there you see again starting with love as a foundation. But what does he say to do? He says to outdo each other with honor. We're on the, the topic of movies I couldn't resist. This is what I think of when I think of outdoing one another with honor. This is a, a, a Chevy Chase clip. You see if you guys recognize the, the movie that this is from. As doctors, Trowbridge and Greenbaum. Doctor? 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 Doctor. 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 And doctor. Well, we miss anyone? <laughs> this picture, for whatever reason, that's stuck in my mind of outdoing each other with honor. Maybe uh, a silly illustration, an excuse to show that for a commercial break. But uh, you get the, get the idea of what would church look like if we were constantly, what does it honor mean? Honor means to acknowledge the contribution of others. Acknowledge the contribution of others. If we're constantly looking for opportunities to lift up the contributions of others, wouldn't that change the dynamic of church world if we're just like, man, no, you were fantastic in collecting the offering. No, you were great in doing it. Like, what, what would that look like? Put a powerful scene if we're constantly honoring each other. What, that, what he's called us to. It pushes against our self-centered, me-first flesh. He goes on, he tells us not to be slothful in zeal. Anybody see Zootopia with the sloth in there? Oh, funny stuff. Fervent in spirit. Boy, the, then it says, in, as we serve the Lord, this picture of slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, the picture of, 
of fervent is the picture of a water boiling over. If you've ever left a pot on the stove too long and it starts boiling over and you're like, what in the world? That, that's the, the kind of attitude, that's the way we're uh, supposed to approach life. It's an invitation to passionate living. It's an invitation to passionate living, to, to live with a, an excitement and an enthusiasm about everything that we're doing, with a, a certain degree of zeal and passion, not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. An invitation to passionate living. I, when I was trying to think of an example of this, I don't know if you guys have met Matt McCormick in our church. This guy, like you're, anything that he's talking about, he's super excited about it. Like you're like, that, that's not that exciting, Matt. Yes, it is. Like he, 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 could sell, he could sell ice cubes to Eskimos. This guy, is, it's fitting that he's in sales because he's passionate and people are drawn to it. The world takes notice when somebody has passion and zeal. That's how we're supposed to serve the Lord. He continues talking about what we're called to, this lifestyle. This is where it gets a little bit more difficult in verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This picture there of dealing with tribulation, I think it's interesting what's around that because if we're honest with ourselves, that's probably one of the harder things in the Christian life. When we're in the middle of tribulation, how do we respond to our trials? I think it gives some different great pictures there. The first, the picture of hope that's supposed to be constant in the life of a believer. But then what does it say right after the being patient in tribulation? It says, be constant in prayer. What if our tribulation, whatever our trial is that's constantly on our mind, as often as it's on our mind, what if we move that towards being constant in prayer? Like every time, that's the, the catalyst that moves us to being like, oh man, I'm thinking about it again, I need to pray about it again. I'm thinking about it, I need to pray about it. Thinking about it, I need to pray about it. Man, what would that do to radically change the way we see trials, how we respond to them, recognizing that I can't fix it, but I know somebody that can. That's how we're able to be patient, patient in tribulation. But he also says there, right after that, which I don't think is an accident, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I was thinking about that a little bit this week where sometimes when we're in the middle of our trial, we get so blinded and so focused on that that everybody else can kind of do their own thing. It's all just everything else is just a blur where he's saying, no, we're to contribute to the needs of others. How that would change our trials and how we deal with them if we started taking our eyes off of our stuff and saying, all right. Well, clearly this is out of my control. That's why I keep bringing it to God. But the things I can control, I can meet the needs of some other people around me. What God could do through that, how that would change our perspective in trial. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Being aware of the needs around us. It says to show hospitality. Show there, actually the word used there is means to pursue. In other words, we're to intentionally pursue, to look for needs around us, to be looking for them. I, I love a Nate and Abby Burris, who are our missionaries to Indonesia, are, are home for a stretch here, and hopefully being refreshed and encouraged. And I think of that time as a time where we get to lift them up and pour into them. Well, I mentioned this last week, this homeless ministry that we're, we're starting at our church and some different needs for that. And we sent out a, a list of different food items for people to bring. And you're supposed to reply all to that. 
every five minutes, I feel like I'm going back and seeing my email, and there's Nate saying, I'll, I'll pick up that too. I'll get the potatoes. I'll get the vegetables. I'll get the, des- oh, I'll get the dessert. Oh, oh, I'll get the dressing too. And you're like, wait a second. You're supposed to be here being refreshed. And he, it, you're like, oh man, maybe it's because he gets it. What we're called to is meeting the needs of others. It's not all about me. Show hospitality, seeking out the lonely and the oppressed. My question for us is, what would it look like this week if you were to strategically think through somebody in this body that you know is going through a difficult time, and you tried to think of some creative way to bless them, what God could do with that, the stories we could have next Sunday if we chose to actually take this piece of Scripture seriously. Truth is, Christians are not given the option of withdrawing in detachment. We're not given that option. We're called to engage. And that's what he points to in this next section, engaging the world. It says, bless those who persecute you. This is probably the hardest section. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. If you think about that charge in verse 14 there, what does it say? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. How would you compare that, that, that charge for us or that instruction to the advice that you would receive in our world today? How would you compare that? Do you think people say when, when, you're, when somebody curses you or speaks poorly at you, then you should, you should respond with blessing them? Let's talk for a second about our, our, ple- our presidential uh, pursuit here that's happening. How would you, what grade would you give them on this one? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. How do you think we're doing on that? It's literally embarrassing to watch as the potential leaders of our free, free world are, are like just ripping on each other like we're in junior high. Like, if we got this right as a church, how the world would take notice. Talk about, wow, I didn't see that coming. Talk about, wow, I didn't see that coming. If we got this right, when someone speaks poorly of you, you're like, man, I'm not falling into that. I'm lifting them up. I'm elevating them. Wow, that could change everything. That's the life that we're invited to. I don't ever see cursing at someone as an option in scripture. I'd love to see if you have a, a one you can point to, but I don't ever see that as something that's endorsed or, or encouraged. Or if you have this situation, then it's okay. Do you ever see that anywhere? I, I don't see it. So he calls us to this. He says the, the, that, and then he says the, uh, the, the next piece about being sensitive to our surroundings. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That sounds pretty obvious, but really so much of what God calls us to is just simply engaging in, and being present with the world around us. What does he say to do? Rejoice with those who rejoice. We should be the best partiers in the world. Like seriously, like we should be so good at rejoicing with people. Like we, we, we should be Chris and Josh in that video playing the, the guitar leg. Like we should be, like that should be us responding to the world around us when somebody's going through a good time but instead what happens we get so sucked into the competition of me versus them you hear somebody else's promotion you're like yeah congratulations no 
He's called for us to, to live differently, to rejoice, to celebrate when somebody's doing well. But then the opposite side of that spectrum, what else does it say to do? It says to mourn when someone is mourning. We can get so wrapped up in our situation and so busy in our routines that we don't even slow down enough. We're so, we're so isolated and looking at our rough stuff that we don't even slow down enough to notice when other people are hurting. That's why it might seem obvious, but that's what he calls us to. He says, mourn with others. When they're going through a hard time, you go through it with them. I may have shared this story before, but I went through a difficult breakup in college, and uh, I had a group of roommates that I, that I lived with in a, a camp, at a campus apartment. I remember after going through this breakup, I was wondering who was going to be home when I got home and who was going to be somebody I could talk to. And I had three roommates, and, and, and two of them were really good at just kind of talking through things. And the other one was a little bit more like a just big, burly, Neanderthal kind of guy, you know, like, uh, and, and I was hoping when I was driving up, I was like, oh man, I, I hope it's Sean that's home when I get home to kind of share what was going on, and sure enough, it was my buddy Neil, and uh, I think he spoke like four words in the course of six months, and so he, he saw me, and I was just like, oh, what's Neil going to say to this, and I, I, he had already heard, and, uh, and he came up and just kind of grunted, kind of grabbed me, pulled me in for a hug, and you're like, Man, that's awesome. It was one of those hugs that the first five seconds you're like, this is awkward. I won't let go. I won't let go. But then after five seconds, you're like, no, this is kind of nice. And you kind of let go and let yourself into it. I don't know if you've ever had one of those hugs. But, uh, but, but the thing that I remember from that, I remember looking up and at the, uh, the end of that long embrace, weird, uh, I, I remember looking up and I saw in his eyes, he was tearing up too. He was tearing up too. It's like, man, that's a picture of what we're called to be for people going through trials, through tribulation. As they're, as they're mourning, mourn with them. Go along. That, that sometimes can be the best gift that you can offer to somebody. Live a, it's all part of this next charge, living in harmony with one another. For us to engage with the world around us, get out of our bubble, to be sensitive to our surroundings. And what does he say there? He says, not being haughty or thinking highly of ourselves, but associate with the lowly. Not because they're more important, but because the, the people that are lowly are going through difficult times. That's what they need it the most. Never thinking you're better than someone or smarter than someone. Gives all of these great words of wisdom for us. Probably in this next section, as although I said that was hard, this next section, it gets even more difficult. It talks about how we deal with difficult people. Anybody have any difficult people in your life? Let's read what it says to how we're supposed to respond. It says, Repay no, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Probably the most challenging part to a supernatural life is this picture of repaying no one evil with evil. Revenge is completely ruled out. It's not an option. It's not an option for a believer. Revenge keeps evil 
in circulation if you think about it. If, if it's ever going to come to a stop, there has to be somebody that breaks that cycle, right? There has to be somebody that breaks that cycle. It's not just something that cripples individuals. It's something that cripples entire people groups. Think about the, the, the Middle East. Think about Ireland. Think about so many people that are gripped by, Ugh, they did this to me, I'm going to get even. So many people, individuals, that same thing. Oh, they did that. They said that, and that was it. That was the last straw on cutting them off. Too many believers give themselves permission not to read this section of Scripture. Too many people. So often we're screaming for justice for others while we're basking in God's grace ourselves. He says, man, if you're going to live a supernatural life, this can't be an option. He says, he calls us to think differently. Talk about something that would cause the world to sit up and take notice. The things that he calls us to, he says, first, mentally, you need to turn it over to the Lord. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And to be honest with you, if you think about justice, his ultimate justice in somebody's life that's apart from him is probably supersedes whatever your worst wish is for somebody. Does that make sense? An eternity separated from him? Like you think about what, it, what, what hell looks like. So allow him to play the rightful role as judge in somebody's life. And you can take the, the chains off and say, I'm turning that over. I'm setting them free from that. I'm not continuing the cycle of evil. Physically, he says, to serve them. Wow, talk about something we didn't see as coming. The, taking our, the, the, the extreme case of saying, not only am I going to release this to God, I'm going to literally actively look for ways to meet their needs. Wow, that's crazy. That's so supernatural. That's so, wow, I didn't see that coming. That's what he's called us to, though. Paul recognizes, though, what does he say? He says, as much as it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. So in other words, what your, your part in it, you own that part. You do what you're supposed to do and let the chips fall where they're going to fall. You can't be responsible for how somebody else responds. We have this discipleship group that I'm a part of during the week, and there's a group of us guys that get together, and we try to nudge each other in the right direction here and there. And uh, one of the, the guys was sharing about a, uh, a coaching experience that he had, coaching his, his child's soccer game, and was telling the, the story about getting into it with one of the other coaches. I'm sure nobody in here has ever had a problem with that, because, because youth sports brings out the best in all of us, right? But in, in, this, in this situation, they, they, they got going at it, kind of an argument, they got heated, some heated words exchanged, and he went off and he's telling us about this experience, and we, we pushed him, we said, listen, what you need to do is you need to go back next week and you need to just own your part of it, and just say, you know what, I'm trying to follow Jesus and I, I shouldn't have acted like that. He's like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know about that conversation. But, but, you know, all week I was waiting. I was excited here to see if he had done it. We get back together, and he's like, so, guys, I did it. I met him at, at, at center field. I went up to him, and, and he thought we were going to fight. I went up to him, and, and I said, you know what? I was wrong last week. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have been arguing with that. I, I lost my cool, and that's honor, not honoring Jesus, who I'm trying to follow. And guess what happened to this guy? 
jaw came unattached from its hinges, dropped to the ground. Like literally, this guy was so blown away that, wait, what? You, you mean you're, you're, you're taking ownership of your part? What? Like what, what's going on here? What, is it, what does it say happens when we do that? What does it point to? It's like putting coals on the person's head. Now don't use that as a motivation. It's not a malicious motive. But it's more of a typical outcome. Not a malicious motive, but more of a typical outcome. Usually, when someone is kind to you in response to your unkindness, what does that do? It melts their hearts. It softens them. Think about that even in your own marriage. Uh, if you're married, how often if you return a, a soft word instead of a harsh response, how God's like, whoa. Wait a second, my wife is great at that. It makes me feel like crud because she's nice, I'm mean, and, like the, it, and it makes you feel like it, it has that effect. That's what he calls us to. Talk about something that will cause the world to sit up and take notice. That's how we don't allow it to over, for evil to overcome you. How many of you know somebody that you're like, man, they're a, a picture of somebody that evil has overcome? Not saying that they're so evil, but that picture of, you know what, they've allowed bitterness that they've harbored to just take root, and it's, it, it's set up camp, and it, it's, it's lived there so long, and they've become hardened and, and calloused, and you're like, that, that's what he's saying, don't do that, what does he propose for us? Instead of, instead of that option, he says, do not be, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have that potential to overcome evil with good. That's, what he, that's the picture that he's painting here for us. And who is the ultimate example of that? Who's the ultimate example of that? Jesus Christ, right? He, he didn't, how he chose to respond to our evil and our rebellion and our shaking our fists and saying, no thanks, we don't want anything to do with you, even though you created us and sustain us and give, have given us everything we have, uh, but we don't want anything to do with you. Instead of doing what we've talked about before, which would be the natural to be like, psh, 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 what does he do? Instead, he overcomes it with good. Came down, lived amongst us, lived the perfect life. He lived out all of these things. Didn't return uh, cursing, he returned it with blessing. He, he showed compassion to the, the, those, he mourned with those who were mourning. He celebrated with those who were celebrating. All of these things he did. All these things he did. That's what makes this supernatural living. That's what makes this supernatural living. You might see this list and be look at this description and just like, I can't do any of that. Exactly. Exactly. That's when you're finally in a right place. When you recognize, I can't do this. I need him working through me. I need him to, to do this, to do this, this shaping. And I'll tell you what, when we start to turn this over and say, Holy Spirit, I can't do this, but I know this is the picture that you've invited me to. This is what we've called. He'll start changing you. He'll start aligning you to be more and more like himself the more and more we submit to him. And I'll tell you what, you start living like that, the world will take notice. They'll be sitting on the edge of their seat saying, wow, I didn't see that coming. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this text and this picture that you've painted. Really, it's an invitation. It's not a guilt trip. It's an invitation to live differently. Not our will, but your will. We've seen where our will, when we do things the way we think is best, 
where that gets us. But you've called us to live differently. To love people unconditionally. To serve people even when they treat us like crud. You've called us to live different. And I'm confident if we do, the world will take notice. We also recognize here this morning, God, that we can't do this independent of you. We're so, so critical that this is you working through us. Because we just fall back to the same old stuff when it's just trying this harder in our own strength. God, so that's why this morning, collectively, we're asking you to grow us in these areas. And when the world does take notice, we'll for sure give you the glory and honor because it's all about you. Praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Not our will, but yours be done. This passage is a beautiful picture of what his will is for each of us. Amen. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you.